Hello, listeners. From home or on the road, catch a favorite story. You are listening to Catch the Story, the podcast where in each episode we bring you great stories told by dear storytellers. I'm your host, Lucia Matuonto, and it's time to catch the story. Introducing the RV Book Fair Special, showcasing two captivating stories. The first story unfolds a chapter from the book Enigma Wraith by the talented authors Berkey and Brakefield. Chapter 14 Precious moments can quickly vanish when you aren't watching. Juan grumbled, Where is that stupid co-pilot? Badger me to get on as a co-pilot, and now he seems to have vanished. I need to learn to be less helpful to whiny people with funny foreign accents. Oh well, I can get my pre-check done a lot quicker and leave on my schedule without having to wait for someone to go potty. I better get started if I'm going to pick up Lara on time. Juan ran his hand under the aircraft as he walked and smiled affectionately at the Gulfstream jet that he flew for Destiny Fashions of Brazil. He thought about all the beautiful models he had flown to so many exotic locations for extended photoshoots. Talk about your dream job! Running baby luscious models to magazine shoots where they need to change constantly and almost wear clothes to show off, not to cover up. On top of that, Laura paid him too. He chuckled to himself when he thought about how many males would pay to have his job. Of course, the irony of it all was that while the models were for the most part very pretty and usually nice, when not parading in front of a camera, it was just a job for both of them. Anyway, he already had a special, steady lady that kept him focused on her inventory. He thought it odd that she never warned him about having Roman fingers or Russian hands. Frankly, It never entered his mind to try out the goods, as it were. She was who he really wanted, and his philandering days seemed a thing of the past. Anyway, it wouldn't do to be sampling the wares since the owner of the company, Lara Bernardez, had given him this job at the request of his brother, Carlos. Carlos was a communications specialist with a focus on using satellites. He worked all over the world as a contractor. Carlos was Lara's full-time night mail, So any stupidity on Juan's part would cost him his flying job and possibly his beloved Julie, not to mention the whipping he'd receive from Carlos. While all were powerful motivators, he frankly liked his life the way it was currently arranged. Nothing else seemed interesting. With the aircraft checklist completed, and after he topped off the tanks, Juan made one last area review looking for the missing co-pilot, with no success. He decided he'd likely never see the guy again. Odd, though, the guy was so insistent to learn the trade, asked so many questions, seemed so eager, then it simply vanished. Juan climbed in the cockpit and started the engines after closing the door. The ground crew pulled the chocks away, and he moved the aircraft into takeoff position. He followed his filed flight plan out of Acapulco and headed out over the Yucatan to see the ocean. Everything looked so good at 28,000 feet. He saw the waves as they broke over the barrier reef off the Yucatan Peninsula. The waves were catching the sun's rays and sending reflected light bursts like a myriad of tiny stars flickering, floating on the ocean. Gratified by the spectacle, it reminded him that this was why he had always wanted to fly. 
Also, it felt good to be working a legitimate job and not having to worry about being chased by the federales. Things had worked themselves out, and finally everything was going his way. Juan chuckled and then thought to himself, when everything is coming your way, it's a good indication that you're in the wrong lane of traffic. And then it started. The onboard computers flickered, then blanked, then returned momentarily, only to go dark except for a red line centered on the screen that said, Ghost Code, Patent Pending. The radio chatter stopped, and all electronics that were computer-dependent simply spun. Only the analog-driven old-school instruments, running on vacuum pressure and one analog compass, gave any useful information. Juan was alarmed but didn't panic. He went through the emergency checklist trying to bring the computers, which drove practically everything on the aircraft, back online. Precious minutes passed, but nothing seemed to help. Then he noticed that the analog speed indicator showed that he seemed to be dropping and accelerating at the same time. He hadn't noticed it was approaching the danger zone for the aircraft. By the time he started to struggle with the stick controls, nothing made any difference. Even though the hydraulics almost worked, he had enough upper body strength to move the rudders and ailerons. He realized the air was now being pushed out around the aircraft such that the rudder and ailerons no longer had any airflow over them to correct his direction. The Gulfstream moved so fast that the air simply could not be affected with aileron activity. After a few more frantic minutes trying everything from the radios to reviving the computers, he settled on one revelation. He was doomed to ride this out. After he had gained enough control to maintain altitude, he resigned himself to this fate as he retrieved his cell phone. He was able to use it the way Carlos had instructed him, with a satellite, to make a call to Lara. Lara promptly answered, Hello, Juan. Please don't tell me you're going to be late for this photo shoot. You promised me no more missed deadlines. Juan swallowed hard, and then with tenseness evident in his voice, he replied, Actually, Lara... That is exactly what is going to happen. Can you conference in Carlos so I can hear him dress me down too, please? Lara wasn't quite sure what was wrong, but quickly called Carlos. Carlos, my darling, I need to bridge you into a conference call right now, Lara insisted without any preamble. Carlos, somewhat bewildered at a demanding request to join a conference call, responded, uh, Sure, Lara, but can you tell me what's going on? Lara said nothing until she joined the three of them and indicated, Juan, Carlos is on now. You want to tell us what is going on now? With a resigned smile, Juan fatalistically responded, Yes, Lara, thanks. Hi, bro. I'm glad you had time to talk. Well, let me be brief, since I don't know how much more time I have left. I just wanted to tell you both I'm sorry, but this time it really isn't my fault. I also apologize for your aircraft, Lara. Carlos knew that tone and asked, Juan, what's wrong? Where are you calling from? Juan drew a deep breath and succinctly replied, I am at about 27,000 feet. The onboard computer systems are gone, and there is a strange message on this screen that I took a picture of then texted to your special fruit phone number before I called Lara. I have no onboard air controls that work, except manually with great effort. I don't know if this screenshot was received, but it had this cryptic message, uh, ghost code patent pending. I have no idea what that means. Carlos, I am in mock talk. Carlos closed his eyes and grimaced at the cruel information. Lara shook her head, very puzzled, and asked, What is mock talk? Carlos's stomach nodded and his mind raced as he responded, uh, 
Mactak is where the aircraft has accelerated to the point that the plane is pushing air out so far around the plane that air necessary to stay close to the wings, tail, and ailerons to control the craft cannot be used to steer. Juan, we've talked about this before. Can you cut the fuel or drop the gear to slow the aircraft down so that the air control will respond again? Juan replied, and the computer-controlled fuel efficiency system went with the twin computer systems. While I was fighting to get them back online, I noticed the aircraft was gathering speed and dropping altitude. I won't say I panicked, but I tried to manually lower the gear and sheared off the crank handle, which gave me a sick feeling. If I had the computers and electronics back, I could conceivably lower the gear. However, nothing is responding. It occurs to me that I'm about to reenact the deep space meteor impact that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. Of course, I am not the size of the meteor, which I expect was the size of Bolivia, so we shouldn't worry about a nuclear winter and swing from my impact. Carlos said nothing, but dropped his cell phone down to conference and someone else to the call. While the call was connecting, he continued to try to locate the Gulfstream with his systems and based on the cell signal Juan's phone was emitting. He was grateful that Lara caught him in his work environment, surrounded by vast computer resources. He'd known the scheduled flight yesterday, as Juan had copied him on the flight plan as always. As the call was answered, he located the aircraft's signature and began tracking its course. When she answered, Carlos said, Julie, I need you to join a conference call right now, please. Carlos completed the bridging action and asked, Julie, are you there? Julie was confused as she answered, Carlos, hi. What's up, and who else is on the call with us? Juan smiled broadly at her voice and said, Hi, babe. <laughs> it's me, sweetheart. It is so good to hear your voice right now. Uh, Carlos and Lara are both on with us, so we'll need to keep the conversation clean, okay? Listen, honey, I am having some aircraft trouble, and I uh, may not make our special date that we planned for after this trip. I know you wanted to keep it a surprise, but can you tell me what the doctor said this morning? I think we all would like to hear the results. Julie was confused and started to panic as she tried to speak. What? Um, uh, no. Carlos intervened. Julie, Juan is caught in Mach Tuck with all the computer systems gone. He cannot slow the plane down to control it. Um, there may not be much time to talk to Juan, Julie. Please, tell him everything that you want him to hear about you and the doctor, whatever it is. Julie was desperately frightened and felt helpless as she asked... What about kicking the door open to see if that will help slow down the aircraft so you can regain control? Juan responded, Good idea, honey. I thought of that, but as long as the engines are running, the gangway is locked in place. Even if I could get the gangway down, I would have to leave my seat and buckle to open it. Once opened, the aircraft would decompress, sucking me out the door, which <laughs> isn't a whole lot better than what I'm facing now. Lowering the landing gear was also a non-starter solution. So, honey... Will you tell me what the doctor said? I, I really want to hear what was said. Julie, as tears streamed down her face, managed enough courage as she replied. She said, We two are going to be three, just as we suspected, my love. Please tell me you're coming back. Please tell me there's a way out of this. Juan struggled with tears but fought as he levelly responded. Oh, honey, such good news. I'm so pleased and proud. Very few males get as good a female as you, babe. But you must promise me that when he or she arrives that you will say that I would love him or her as much as I love you. Will you do that for me, honey? Carlos, I have a request of you, my brother. Will you find these people that are breaking Julie's heart and destroy them? Julie screamed. 
Why don't you leave me? I need you. Our baby needs you. Though Carlos's eyes were overflowing with tears, he resolutely pledged, Yes, little bro. Juan then said, Julie, I don't know. It took everyone a few seconds to realize and accept that there was only three of them on the call now. Juan had just vanished. Our next tale is written and narrated by the accomplished author Stephanie Ellis. I'm Stephanie Ellis and today I'd like to read to you from the opening chapter of my latest folk horror novel, The Woodcutter. To put it into context before I begin, here's the blurb. A tragic accident, shrouded in mystery, leads to a family reunion in the hidden village of Little Hatchet, located in the smothering shadow of God Begone Wood, the home of the mythical woodcutter and grandma. Alec Eads rediscovers his bond with God Begone Wood and the future his father agreed to years ago as nefarious landowner Oliver Haywood schemes to raise money for the village by reenacting part of the woodcutter legend. Old wounds are reopened and ties of blood and friendship are tested to the extreme when the woodcutter is summoned and Grandma returns. The Woodcutter, Chapter One When Alec opened the door, it was like looking in a mirror. Admittedly, his caller appeared a few years younger, was of a more athletic build, but the other similarities were too strong to deny. If not twins, they could be brothers, an uncomfortable idea. Alec's thoughts were interrupted as the rain, which had eased off after a day of relentless onslaught, renewed its efforts to drown the country. Adding insult to injury, the wind changed direction and delivered the deluge straight at him, his porch providing no protection. He hoped whatever his visitor wanted could be dealt with quickly. The stranger stood in silence, ignoring the discomfort of the elements. "'Yes, can I help you?' prompted Alec, hoping his meaningful look at the heavy clouds would convey enough of a hint to bloody well get on with it. "'Alec? Alec Eads?' "'Yes.' Of this affirmative, the stranger stared at him harder, making him feel as if he'd been put under a microscope. He squirmed. "'Yes.' Alec could hear the irritation in his voice, dislike seeming rude, but the man wasn't helping himself, seemed almost to be on the point of turning away. Whatever he wanted to say, he was in two minds about it. The rain came down harder. Alec wanted nothing more than to shut the door on his intruder, but despite his annoyance, he was curious. Meeting your doppelganger on your doorstep late at night was something which didn't happen very often. Alec tried again. And you are? The man looked him directly in the eyes, if coming to a decision. Cameron, Cameron Reeves. The name rang a vague bell, too vague for any recognition. He continued to wait. Look, this is bloody awkward and there's no easy way to say this, so I'll go ahead and say it anyway. A gust of wind drove another blast of rain at the two men. His visitor was getting a real soaking, but did not seem to care. Yes, encouraged Alec, trying to place the man's accent. It seems so familiar. Miserable eyes looked at him, despair tinged with something else. Pity? I'm... I'm your brother. It came out in a rush. Half-brother, if you want to be completely accurate. They continued to stare at each other, uncomfortable, each not knowing what to say. Alec had seen family reunions on TV, always joyful, even when members had only just learned of each other's existence. 
he had occasionally pondered his own circumstances, wondered if reconnecting with those his mother had separated him from would result in a similar response. He had his answer, a resounding no. Instead, it felt as if disaster was about to strike. Alex found he wasn't surprised, however, had almost expected this information. After all, his mother warned him this might happen one day. His father would try and reclaim him, she had said, and she spent most of his childhood hiding him from imaginary kidnappers, grabbing his hand at the approach of a stranger and running off down alleys and side streets until the illusory danger passed. It made him a nervous child, always jumping at shadows, scared to take a risk. Unable to settle in one place and continually moving until finally she felt there were enough miles between them and his birthplace, his mother's fears had cost him a happy childhood. He'd refused to let her do the same to the rest of his life. There'd been many arguments about it before she died. Mark my words, she'd said. I won't be in my grave five minutes before the past comes crawling out of the woodwork. It didn't matter he was a grown man, fifty-two for Christ's sake, more than capable of looking after himself, nor would she explain. Alec hadn't seen his father since he was five years old, and could remember little of the man or anything of those early years come to that. What his mother predicted seemed to be coming true. He was curious. You'd better come inside, he said, reluctant to admit the stranger, but allowing wind, rain, curiosity, and yes, good old-fashioned common sense to override his wariness. Cameron nodded, his relief evident, and stepped past Alec. Alec took the man's, his brother's, coat and hung it up, his drips already pooling on the hardwood floor. Reeves. The name continued to itch at the back of his mind. He had heard it before. No. Seen it. But where? Through there. I'll grab you a towel. No, no, said Cameron. I don't have time. His eyes kept moving to the window against which the rain continued to hammer. He wore the look of a hunted man. And still Alec waited until it almost became a repeat of their doorstep conversation, albeit a somewhat dry version. For a man in a hurry, Cameron seemed to be very slow in coming to the point. It gave Alec a chance to study his visitor a little more closely, note the dark smudges beneath his eyes as if he hadn't slept for a week, a feeling Alec knew well. A sudden crack and a rumble made them both jump, and Cameron paled at the sound. Alec moved to the window and closed the curtains. "'Better?' he asked. "'Can't stand thunder and lightning myself. Always frightens the life out of me. Mum used to say it was the devil losing his temper. She never was very good at reassuring me when I was a kid. Actually, she spent most of my childhood telling me stories which terrified me. I used to have so many nightmares.' "'Still do,' he almost added stopping himself as he realised he was beginning to ramble, unsure why he'd even started talking about this. He rarely talked about his mum to anybody. Not that he had anyone to talk to, even if he'd wanted to. She'd made sure of that. No woman stuck around once they met her. He waved a whisky bottle at his guest. Perhaps the drink would loosen the man's tongue, get him to say what he needed to say, speed him up. Alec wasn't a great drinker, but he felt tonight it might help. Time for a quick one. Cameron nodded, taking the glass from him, although not drinking. Instead, he stared at its still surface, as if seeking something. Minutes passed before he responded, minutes which felt like an age. So you might know something, then. His guest behaviour was becoming unnerving, was beginning to make Alec worry perhaps he wasn't all there. I don't understand, said Alec, sitting down opposite him. 
Look, I appreciate you've got something to tell me. I mean, you wouldn't have come all this way on a night like this for the fun of it. But it's late, and I'm tired. Perhaps tomorrow? His words had the desired effect, stirred Cameron. Tomorrow? No, no, I've got tonight. One night only, as they say. He gave a hollow laugh, and Alex's heart sank. Whatever was coming would not be good. Reeves. With a start, Alec remembered finding a document with a name on it, and an old address of theirs, asking his mum about it and put her in a temper. She had said it was a name she had once used, but explained no further beyond saying she never wanted to hear it again. How old had he been? Eight? Nine? Old enough to know to do as he was told. To do otherwise was to ensure he remained in her bad books for days, and he'd wanted to keep her happy, keep the worry lines from her face. He realised now that must have been her married name, but it hadn't sunk in at the time. Keep the past at bay had been his mum's mantra, and so he had. Everything had been buried, and he had never gone digging. He looked at Cameron with fresh eyes, felt a strange certainty that they were indeed brothers. How had the man found him? Who had told him that Alec existed? He had so many questions, but so it appeared to Cameron, and they were not what he expected. What do you know about your... Our dad asked Cameron. What do your mum tell you? Not to go near him. Not in those words exactly, but that was always the gist. She said he was the sort of man who'd sell his own child to the devil. When she left him, she reverted to her maiden name. Changed mine as well. Never told me what her married name, my original name was. My birth certificate never showed his name either. She had it changed somehow. Said she didn't want me contaminated. As you can gather, there wasn't a lot of love lost between them. For myself, I can't remember anything. Not much, anyway. Little things were coming back to him as he recalled her words, but he kept those to himself. He wanted to hear what Cameron had to say first. Cameron nodded. Your mum was right, he said. That's why I'm here. As Alec digested his words, he noticed the man's pallor, his great in skin, bloodshot eyes. Illness marked him. The idea struck that the visit might be due to some unpleasant hereditary condition he needed to be made aware of. He bit down on his impatience. If this was the case, he needed to be understanding. I, we, live in a village called Little Hatchet. It's pretty much in the middle of nowhere, borders an area called the Devil's Axe. Yes, said Alex. That's as much as Mum would remind me. As I said, I don't have any memory of then. I was five when we left. She asked me to at least wait until she died before I ever went digging around in her family. She's always so upset about it, I did as she asked. She's dead, then. I'm sorry. A shadow passed over Cameron's face. His words, coming as they did from a stranger, seemed genuine. A month ago, she'd lost it towards the end. All those stories she used to tell me as a kid, that's all she went on about. Obsessed she was. And there was this bloody stupid story about a bloodthirsty monster called the Woodcutter, kept banging on about him being the devil in disguise. If I'm honest, I was glad when she finally passed. Dementia destroys so much of a person. Why was he telling Cameron, a stranger, all this? And what if it wasn't dementia? A question pulled him up short. What do you mean? What else could it be? The doctor seemed pretty certain. The consultations had been short, almost dismissive. They'd given his mother a label, and he had never questioned it. It had allowed him to dismiss her stories, her obsessions, as simply part of her diagnosis. Cameron shook his head. What if I told you there might be some truth behind those stories? Alex stared at Cameron. Was the man nuts? 
evidence that lunacy ran in their family for god's sake don't tell me you've come to simply tell me the same stories you probably mean well in some bizarre way but it's late i'm tired i think you should go cameron ignored his request you're not sleeping well are you dreams nightmares look cameron waved his hand to cut him off i'm the same haven't had a good night's sleep for weeks can you get to the point said alec taking cameron's glass from him and standing a not so subtle hint that perhaps it was time to go the gesture was ignored i need your help i we've got a younger brother i want you to come back to the village with me we need your help ten minutes ago alec had been alone in the world to all intents and purposes an orphan regardless his father was alive somewhere now he had two brothers he sat back down torn between wanting cameron gone and finding out more help with what look we've never met before tonight i know nothing about you and you expect my help if you've got trouble you should go to the police another thought struck him is he ill are you after a donor for something or other alec shifted uneasily in his chair at the thought he might be put on the spot to offer up a part of himself how was he going to say no without being made to feel guilty he could not look cameron in the eye but his brother merely laughed don't worry he's not ill or anything like that the sort of trouble in our family isn't the sort you can go to the authorities or the doctors with they'd laugh at us say we're mad like your mum that stung alec had his own opinion on his mother's mental state but it didn't mean anyone else could make those statements i don't know what this is what trouble you're in but i can't help you he wanted rid of the man an even louder clap of thunder boomed over their heads they both jumped alec rose to his feet please i think you should leave and that is part of chapter one from my latest book the woodcutter i hope you enjoyed it and it encourages you to pick up the book and give the rest of it a go and discover whether he goes back to that village of his childhood and does the woodcutter indeed return for additional details about the rv book fair 2023 and to explore the literary creations of Berkey and Brickfield, and also Stephanie Ellis, please visit our website at www.relatable-media.com. That's all for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a story that you want us to catch, submit it on our website at www.relatable-media.com Thank you for listening and whether you are at home or on the road, we hope you catch this story.